How could that thing have gotten aboard? And why? Just to kill us? What is the usual reason an intelligent creature kills? It's hungry. What makes you so certain it's intelligent, Colonel? Not just an animal. Can't open the door to see compartment. In the silent void of outer space, puny man matches his cunning against a monster from Mars running rampant, howling for all the flesh and blood on Earth. Welcome to Treks and Sci-Fi. This is episode 445 for Sunday, July 14th, 2013. What's happening, everybody? This is Mark Daniels from the Great Pacific Northwest. I'm M5 on the Treks and Sci-Fi forum, and I'll be your guest host this weekend. I'm back this week with another blast from the past. Today I'm going to take a look at a science fiction horror movie from 1959. It, The Terror from Beyond Space. Before I get into the movie, I'd like to thank Rico for giving me another opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I'd also like to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoy it. With that said, I'm going to play the main title theme to this movie. I'll be back after the music with some movie information, and then we'll get into the movie. The Terror from Beyond Space was released August 13, 1959. It has a running time of 68 minutes. It was directed by Edward L. Kahn. It was produced by Robert Kent. The screenplay was written by Jerome Bixby. The music was written and composed by Paul Sautel and Bert Schefter. It was distributed by United Artists. And here's the cast. Marshall Thompson as Colonel Edward Carruthers. Sean Smith as Ann Anderson. Kim Spaulding as Colonel Van Heusen, Anne Dorn as Dr. Mary Royce, Dabs Greer as Dr. Eric Royce, Paul Langton as Lieutenant James Calder, Robert Bice as Major John Perdue, Richard Benedict as Bob Finelli, Richard Hervey as Gino Finelli, Tom Carney as Joe Keinholtz, and Ray Corrigan as the creature. Now let's get into the movie. The movie starts off on the surface of Mars. We see two spaceships, the wreckage of the Challenge 141 and the rescue ship Challenge 142. 
Challenge 142 has just landed on Mars. The Challenge 142 is on a mission to search for the crew of the Challenge 141. They find one survivor, Colonel Edward Carruthers, commander of the Challenge 141. This was the planet Mars as my crew and I first saw it. Dangerous, treacherous, alive with something we came to know only as death. This was what we faced when our spaceship cracked up and landing just six months ago. In January of this year, 1973. But it seems as if six centuries passed before a rescue ship arrived. For today, of all my crew, I, Colonel Edward Carruthers of the United States Space Command, am the only one alive. Now I will be going back to face my superiors on Earth, in Washington. And perhaps there, too, I will find another kind of death. Meanwhile, back on Earth, a press conference is being held in Washington to inform reporters of the success of the Challenge 142. Ladies and gentlemen of the press, as you know, the first attempt to send a spaceship to the planet Mars was made six months ago. We knew that that ship, the Challenge 141, had reached its destination. But that's all we knew. Teleradio communication with Mars ceased immediately. And we were forced to assume that the ship and crew had been lost. The man in charge of this expedition was a man who had become known to the world as the first man to be shot into space. The man who pioneered interplanetary space travel. Colonel Edward Carruthers. Two months ago, we sent a second ship to Mars to learn the fate of Colonel Carruthers and his crew. The president has asked me to pass on to you this significant news. Colonel Edward Carruthers has been found alive on Mars. But there's a tragic side to this history-making event. Colonel Carruthers was the sole survivor of this first expedition. One hour ago, we received a teleradio communication from Colonel Van Houston, commander of the second spaceship. This ship is now ready to take off for its return trip to the Earth from Mars. And Colonel Carruthers is being brought back for a court-martial to face trial for the murders of the rest of the crew. The rescue ship is ready to return to Earth. I am to spend the next four months with strangers. A crew of men and women who have but one single purpose. To see that I face a military firing squad. Just before liftoff, Lieutenant Calder leaves an escape hatch open. Unbeknownst to the crew of the Challenge 142, a shadowy figure has crept aboard the ship. The Challenge 142 lifts off and begins its four-month journey back to Earth. Colonel Van Heusen suspects that Colonel Carruthers murdered his crew for their food and water rations. He places Colonel Carruthers under arrest for the murder of his crew. Colonel Carruthers denies the allegation and blames the death of his crew on an unknown creature. Colonel Van Heusen remains unconvinced and shows Colonel Carruthers a skull of one of his crew with a bullet hole in it. Carruthers? Carruthers! What are you thinking about? Those nine bodies you left down there? Yes. But I didn't kill them. 
still sticking to your story about the mysterious creatures. Do you expect a court-martial to believe it? That's all I can tell of. I wish we could have stayed in search for the bodies. However, there's still enough evidence to put you in front of a firing squad. You honestly believe I'd murder nine of my closest friends in order to survive on Mars? Well, isn't it logical, Colonel? The Challenge 141 cracks up in landing. You know you're marooned indefinitely on Mars until another ship is sent. If another ship is sent. You know the food and supplies aboard would last the entire crew only a year. If they'd last you 10 years, the others were dead. Those people were killed by something, not me. I want to show you another something, Carruthers. After you. At least I appreciate the freedom of the ship. Why not? Can you think of a better prison? Aren't you afraid I'll murder you all in your sleep? The Lieutenant Caller and myself will be with you every second of the trip. Take a look at this. brought the dental records of the first crew from Earth. This is Frank Kenner. Kenner? We found it near the Challenge 141 the day after we found you. There's only one kind of a monster that uses bullets. The crew settles into their journey back to Earth. Colonel Carruthers tells Ann Anderson the story of being caught on the surface during a blinding Martian sandstorm. One by one, his crew is plucked from their vehicle by something unseen. Such a cold, desolate world. We saw so little of it. Sometimes I almost want to believe you. Well, I killed them or I didn't. It was me or something. I've only heard the story through Van. Now you'd like to hear my version? All right. It's a long story, but I'll make it brief. We were all outside the ship, exploring the southern tip of Sirtis Major. Suddenly a sandstorm came up and we started back. I was driving the jeep. The sand was so thick we could barely see. We were almost back to the ship when Cartwright just disappeared. One minute he was there and the next minute he was gone. As if something had just plucked him out of the jeep like candy out of a box. We heard a weird sort of sound. And we thought we saw a dark shape running near the jeep and started shooting at it. A few moments later, Kenner, all the rest were gone. I was the only one who made it back to the ship. When the sandstorm quit, I went out and searched all over. It wasn't a sign of Well, how can you explain the bullet hole in the skull? Well, we were all shooting at this thing. Maybe the one that got the bullet was lucky. You don't believe me, do you? I don't disbelieve you. Kynholtz hears some strange noises from a lower deck of the ship. 
he goes to investigate the strange noises and is attacked by a creature. At the same time, Colonel Carruthers thinks he heard some strange noises from a level below. Colonel Carruthers calls for Kynholt, but gets no answer. Colonel Carruthers believes that something is wrong. Colonel Van Heusen believes that Kynholt is in his bunk asleep. Colonel Carruthers checks Kynholt's bunk, and he is not there. Colonel Carruthers insists that something is wrong. The entire crew searches the ship, and Kynholtz is not found. Gino Finelli is next to be attacked by the creature. While looking for Gino, Colonel Carruthers finds Kynholtz's body stuffed inside a ventilation duct. Major Purdue goes into the ventilation duct to search for Gino. He finds Gino close to death when the creature attacks him. Major Purdue manages to escape from the creature but leaves Gino behind. Colonel Van Heusen and Colonel Carruthers decide to use grenades to booby-trap the hatches to the ventilation system. The crew arms themselves with pistols and rifles. The creature leaves the ventilation duct and the grenades explode. They go down to see if the creature is dead. The grenades have had no effect on the creature. They shoot at the creature, but their bullets have no effect either. Carruthers? What is it? Do you know what it is, Carruthers? No. I have a theory, based on what you and Jack told me. You say it's man-shaped, humanoid? Perhaps there was once a civilization on Mars. It ended. Disease, war, something terrible. The Martians, what was left of them, went back to barbarism. Savage, murderous. Maybe that's what we've got on board. They try to kill the creature with gas bombs next. The gas bombs don't work on the creature either. During the gas bomb attack, Colonel Van Heusen is injured by the creature. Dr. Mary Royce examines the body of Kynholt. She finds that all the water and oxygen has been removed from his body. There's not a molecule of oxygen or a drop of water left in Kynholt's body. Water? Blood, bone marrow, glandular secretion, moisture in the tissues. Every ounce of edible fluid in his body is gone. Probably through some osmosis process, there are no punctures. That's what killed him. Cellular collapse and dehydration. Not being crushed into that duct. Well, it holds together. Mars is a world almost totally without water or oxygen. The creature's entire being is probably organized to feed in that manner. It preys on smaller creatures, which in turn feed off the sand itself, converting their intake and hoarding it as water. Dr. Eric Royce and Bob Finelli devise a plan to go outside of the ship and get to a level below the creature. Colonel Carruthers and Lieutenant Calder put on their spacesuits and exit the spaceship. They enter the spaceship a level below the creature and set their trap. They plan to electrocute the creature while it's on the ladder between the levels. Their trap fails and the creature attacks Lieutenant Calder. Lieutenant Calder breaks his leg during the struggle with the creature. Colonel Carruthers manages to escape, leaving Lieutenant Calder behind. Lieutenant Calder finds a safe spot between some machinery and defends himself from the creature with a cutting torch. Colonel Carruthers makes it back to the rest of the crew. Colonel Van Heusen and Major Perdue have become ill from the wounds they've received from the creature. They need more blood, but the blood is on the lower level with the creature. Eric, bacteria is attacking the bone marrow resulting in a leukemia condition. I can fight it with drugs, but slowly, too slowly. If they're going to live, they've got to have fresh blood. 
constantly. And there's no more up here in the dispensary. And we've got to go down and get it. You, you couldn't help Calder. You had to, you had to leave him there. What would you do, Carruthers? Throw him in his, his, his base so you could get away? Dad. How, how come you... Come you always get away without a scratch. He doesn't know what he's saying. I heard that. Tell him he's nuts. Van Houston's got it all wrong. Hey, can anybody hear me? Van Houston's got it all wrong. We hear you, Jim. Thanks. Somehow we've got to get that blood. Well, this time it's my turn. I'm going with you. All right, we'll make a run for you. One thing. Remember, there's only ten feet of ladder between it and us when we get down there. So we better take it slow and easy. One sound and we're dead. Let's take our boots off, huh? The creature enters the reactor room and they trap it in there. Colonel Carruthers, Dr. Eric Royce, and Bob Finelli go to the lower level to get the blood and pick up Lieutenant Calder. In a delirious state, Colonel Van Heusen thinks he can kill the creature by exposing it to radiation. He opens the reactor shield, and the creature doesn't like it. It bursts out of the reactor room and attacks Lieutenant Calder and Bob Finelli. Lieutenant Calder escapes the creature and makes it back to a safe spot between some machinery. Bob Finelli is killed by the creature. Colonel Carruthers and Dr. Eric Royce make it back to the upper level with the blood. Nothing to do but see if the beast will reach us through the center hatch. We can go no higher. We are in the top level of the ship. This is where either we die, or it dies. The remaining crew is finally trapped on the topmost level of the spaceship. Colonel Carruthers notices the ship's oxygen consumption level is much higher than normal, likely due to the creature's larger lung capacity. Colonel Carruthers plans to kill the creature by exposing it to the vacuum of space. He then orders everyone into their spacesuits. All right. Take a look at this. The oxygen consumption's way up. 40% over every previous maximum. 40%? Well, perhaps the gas from the grenades. No, 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 that wouldn't affect it that much. It's not a leak, the pressure's all right. Are you thinking the same thing I'm thinking? The creature. Must have enormous lungs for the thin air on Mars. Let all the air out of the ship. If we can do it in time, it's the only thing that'll kill it. We can build up the air supply for ourselves later. Right. Get your spacesuits on, quick! In the final standoff, pistols and bazookas are unleashed on the creature. The creature seems to be unstoppable. It breaks through the final deck hatch. Colonel Van Heusen opens the doors to the escape airlock. After an explosive decompression, they discover their plan is working. The creature struggles while growling and panting for air. The creature finally dies, stuck halfway through the remains of the last hatch. Colonel Van Heusen is killed during the final battle with the creature. Back on Earth, a press conference is held in Washington. 
The project director reveals the details of what has happened aboard the rescue ship Challenge 142 after it left Mars. You have been called here again to receive further information about the story which was given to you last night. I will read you the text of a teleradio message received from the Challenge 142 less than an hour ago. This is Eric Royce talking. Of the 19 men and women who have set foot upon the planet Mars, six will return. There is no longer a question of murder, but of an alien and elemental life force. A planet so cruel, so hostile, that man may find it necessary to bypass it in his endeavor to explore and understand the universe. Another name for Mars is death. And that's the end of the movie. Now it's time for some movie trivia. The final battle between the monster and the crew is being shown in the drive-in scene during Brian Adams' video, Summer of 69. On its initial release, the standard co-feature with this film was Curse of the Faceless Man. The mask of the monster suit was altered considerably. When Ray Corrigan was fitted for the monster suit, the mask was initially too tight. Paul Blaisdell, the designer of the monster suit, had to remove and rebuild the monster's lower jaw so that the mask would fit better. Unfortunately, Corrigan's chin stuck out through the opening made in the mask. Blaisdell made up Corrigan's chin to look like the monster's tongue. The mask's original eyes were also removed so that we could see Corrigan's own eyes behind the mask. According to director John Carpenter, it took six days to film this movie. Star Trek fans may remember Jerome Bixby. He wrote four episodes of Star Trek. Requiem for Methuselah, Day of the Dove, By Any Other Name, and Mirror Mirror. This movie has two alternate titles, It, the Vampire from Beyond Space, and Terror from Beyond Space. And that's all I have for movie trivia. Here are my comments about the movie. I watched the 2001 DVD release. It's part of MGM's Midnight Movie Series. I picked it up at Fry's for about 10 bucks. The picture and sound quality were okay. The only extra feature you get with the DVD is the theatrical trailer. That's it. I remember watching this movie on a Saturday sci-fi matinee as a kid. The storyline is great. So great it would be used again in another movie called Alien. A couple of months ago, I did a guest spot on the movie Planet of the Vampires. I mentioned how Planet of the Vampires was a major influence on the movie Alien. Well, It the Terror from Beyond Space is another movie that was a major influence on the movie Alien. Parts of Alien were practically lifted from this movie. Think about it. The creature hides in the ventilation system, just like the creature in Alien. One of the crew uses a blowtorch to fight the creature, just like on Alien. The creature is finally defeated by opening one of the outer doors, just like in Alien. I've always said, if you took It the Terror from Beyond Space and Planet of the Vampires and put them together, you'd have Alien. I do have one small problem with the movie. It didn't bother me as a kid, but it does as an adult. I know it's an old movie, but when has it been okay to shoot guns, explode grenades, and use bazookas inside a spaceship? Man, that is insane. I still shake my head at that. But if you watch the movie, make sure to turn off your adult brain. This is a great movie. It brings back a lot of memories from my childhood. Those of us of a certain age will remember those dark days in the early 1970s, when the only science fiction on TV was Star Trek and reruns and classic science fiction movies. That's all we had. Not like today, 
We have DVDs. We have Blu-ray discs. You can watch science fiction on Hulu, Netflix, YouTube. There's never been this much science fiction available to watch ever. There's so much science fiction to watch nowadays that we have forgotten about the classic science fiction movies. There's a whole generation of science fiction fans out there who have never watched The Green Slime or Silent Running. That's a shame. There are some really good classic science fiction movies out there. That's why I've chosen to cover these movies. Hopefully I can get some of the younger science fiction fans to check them out. That way we can keep those movies alive. I would recommend this movie to any science fiction fan. It's a must-see for fans of the Alien franchise as well. I'll give this movie an 8 out of 10. And those are my comments about this movie. Before I wrap up this week's podcast, I'd like to thank Rico again for letting me share with all of you one of my favorite science fiction movies. Thank you, Rico. I'd also like to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed it. I'll be back with another classic science fiction movie. I'll end this week's podcast with some more music from Paul Sawtell and Bert Schefter. It's the main title theme to the 1960 science fiction movie, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, featuring Frankie Avalon. Everyone take care. This is M5, signing off. To the bottom of the sea In a sea of blue-green We will find love At the bottom of the sea Unbelievable, inconceivable, fantastic it will seem, but we'll be the first, the very first, to live such a strange new dream. To the bottom of the sea On our voyage To the bottom of the sea